It is exciting to be here today with you in worship. Uh, I am especially delighted to be able to kick off this new series for the fall. Uh, This is an important series because it is the heartbeat of who we are here on the Hill. And so if you're visiting with us or watching online, this is actually a great time to come and hear what we're about, what we value, and where we are headed. And so uh, just a little bit of background, probably about two years ago, uh, our leadership began the process of defining our mission, our values, and where we're going, or our vision statement. And so this was something a part of uh, when Pastor John was here, recognizing that that would happen uh, before, during, and after the transition, that we would be able to know who we are, what we're about, and what we value. And so I am excited to be able to start. Today we are going to be looking at what is our mission. At Harmony Hill, what is our mission statement, if you will. And so you see it on the banners, you saw it in that video, Uh, you can probably pick up on why Joel chose some of the songs to lead us in worship today. It is, we exist to awaken people from death to life in Christ. Awaken people from death to life in Christ. A mission statement helps answer the question, why do we Exist. Here's just a couple of other examples from companies you're likely familiar with. The Walt Disney Company, their mission statement is to create happiness for people of all ages everywhere. That's why they feel like they exist. Coca-Cola, their mission statement, to refresh the world and inspire moments of optimism and happiness. Give the world a Coke. And then Facebook, their mission, why they exist, to give people the power to build community so that we can bring the world closer together. Unfortunately, that thing got Tower of Babel real quick, uh, but that's what their mission statement is, right? And so here at Harmony Hill, this mission statement, now look, it is derived from uh, verses that many of you are familiar with, the great commission, go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. It's also out of the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and equal to it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? For many years, churches have taken those sort of marching orders, the mission of the church, and boiled them down into statements like, love God, love people, love the world. And so all we are simply doing is boiling down the mission from the Scripture, awakening people from death to life in Christ. Now look, God is the one who does the awakening. We are his church. We are his ambassadors. We are the hands and feet. And so we get the privilege of as God awakens people from death to life in Christ. It's why we exist. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, I'd like to help answer the question, where are we getting this terminology from death 
to life. There are many passages that we could have chosen. This is a common theme in Scripture, but I feel like this gives us a very easy handle to describe death and life in Christ. So with that, I'm going to read verses 12 to 21. I hope you will follow along either uh, on your phone or with a Bible there in the pew rack in front of you uh, or the seat back in front of you. There's not many pews in here. Uh, And so... Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let me just say on the front end, many of you sitting here today would agree wholeheartedly with the Apostle Peter as he wrote in one of his letters recorded in Scripture, understanding Paul can sometimes be difficult. Anybody feel that this morning? What I want to do is try to break that down into very simple terms as it gives a foundation for our mission statement, awakening people from death to life in Christ. So I'm going to start with the bad news. This is sort of a bad news, good news situation. The bad news in your life point outline is this. There is a reality of being in Adam. There's a reality of being in Adam. What you have in this passage is a dichotomy of those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Ultimately, what we just read is Paul making that compare and contrast, really all contrast, over and over. He's basically saying there are two men who have had humanity-wide impact by their very life. And so he's referencing 
In the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, Adam, the first created man. And he says, through that one man, sin entered the world. And if you look at this, really what Paul is doing is in verse 12, as he is beginning, he's about to launch into how in Adam and in Christ, I'm about to do that. But if you've ever known someone when they're trying to explain something that they start and then they give like three caveats and then finally get back around to the point, that's Paul. He's like, in Adam, but also the law, and then also this, and don't forget about that. And then he comes back in around verse 18 and goes, in Adam and Christ, here's the difference. Okay, just in your mind. He's referencing Genesis 3, and for some, you may be wondering, why is Adam taking the full brunt of being the one person who then shot sin throughout humanity when Eve sinned first? It's a fair question. Two things on that, just real quick. Number one, Eve was deceived, but when she sought to hand the fruit, the forbidden fruit to Adam, he knew what he was doing and disobeyed anyways. Also, he was given the responsibility of being the head of that household, and so his responsibility for his entire family and that obedience to the one command fell on him. When God came into the garden, he looked for Adam first. And then, like a long line of his descendants since, Adam sought to push blame to his wife. (laughs) And God said, no, no. And so each were meted out consequences for their sin. So Eve received consequences, as any woman here who's given birth knows that consequence. But even in that fall, There was what is called the Proto-Evangelion, or the first gospel, that through a descendant of Eve would come one who would smash the head of the serpent, the deceiver, and we know that to be Jesus Christ. So Adam is given full weight and responsibility, and it says when he sinned, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it cracked the door open for death to come into the world. And then every single one of us in Adam send ourselves and then equals death. So the reality is this. Every person in this room, including myself, if not foremost, am our start in Adam. Now there's three things I want you to understand from this text about what it means to be in Adam. Adam. Number one, it means that sin has infected you. Sin has infected you and I. Meaning, there is no one in this room who does not sin. Any parents in the room all understand you did not have to sit down and teach your children ABCs, one, two, threes, and me, me, me's. Right? We understand that kids quickly learn how to be selfish, how to fib. And then those begin to grow as they get older into greater and greater trespasses like we all have experienced in this room. Sin has infected every single one of us because we are in Adam. Secondly, 
the scripture tells us that death reigns over us. Reigns not being what we're all praying for, but reigns as in a king. Reigns as in absolute authority, meaning death has power over those who are in Adam. We cannot overthrow, we cannot vote him out. There is nothing we can do. Death reigns over those who are in Adam. Paul says this, um, in the first part of the book of Romans, Paul is trying to accomplish a couple of different things. This is sort of, the book of Romans is his magnus opus, if you will, of his gospel. And he begins by trying to explain there is no one who has an excuse he says God's very creation is yelling, God exists. Sort of answers the question, what about people who have never heard the gospel? Paul says they have had creation and they rejected that and formed their own idols. Whether of physical man-made or made-up intellectual abstract gods or they made themselves their own God. The second thing he's trying to do is to establish that faith comes outside of the law. He's saying Abraham was credited as righteous because of faith years before Moses came down the mountain with the law. The other thing he's establishing leading up to chapter 5 is this, that salvation has always been intended not just for the nation of Israel, yes, for the Jew first and the Gentile second, but that it was always meant to be a global salvation. And so we come here, and so he starts with, in Adam, sin has come in, death has come in, we all sin, and everyone dies. And then he's like, but there's a caveat, I'm talking about the law. And he says, sin existed before the law did as well. And he says, the reason we know this is because death reigned. People died between Adam and Moses, meaning that they had sin and faith as possibilities even before the law came. See, death reigns over those of us in Adam. The third thing about what it means to be an Adam from these verses is that condemnation is pronounced over you. Condemnation is pronounced over you in Adam. See, we often and like to, and appropriately so, think about God, our Father, our Heavenly Father, as being a loving God, and He absolutely is. But because he is loving, because he is holy, he cannot, because of his very nature, allow sin to go unpunished. Like you and I, we don't like it when we hear a story of someone who did something obviously wrong, they found a loophole, and they got off scot-free. We don't like that, but then we want to give different set of rules to God, which say, you just ought to look over all these things. And God says, because I am holy, I have to punish sin to be holy and righteous and actually, yes, loving. And because of that, because we stand with Adam, sin infected, death reigning over us, there is a pronouncement of condemnation. How Paul said it is this, through one man's trespass, the judgment of, of condemnation came to all 
men. This is bad news. And every single one of us find ourselves in Adam. Now, the second point that Paul makes is something that we all have a tendency to do, which is, okay, I've got a problem. How can I fix it? And the way we try to fix it most of the time is be good enough, create enough rules that we can keep up with, and maybe God will earn favor. The second point in your outline is this. Rules do not bring life. Rules do not bring life. In this passage, in two places, at the beginning of the argument and at the end, in verse 20, Paul brings up the role of the law. You'll see this here in your outline. The law defines sin. So again, he's saying sin existed from Adam to Moses. The law came and then defined sin. He, he uses this phrase, there cannot be an account of sin without the law. What he's saying is this, the law helped us understand how messed up we really are. It, it's to say this, we had been stealing. And then when God brought through Moses the Ten Commandments and said, thou shalt not steal, we're like, oh, I've been doing that. When he says, do not bear false witness or lie, we look around and go, Oh, he did that for so-and-so. Yep, that's them. It defines the sins that we were already committing. Again, a child doesn't have to be taught, but they, they do have to be taught. What you're doing is wrong, and we wish you would not do that any longer. <laughs> it defined sin. But then in verse 20, it says that the law came and actually increased the trespasses. What he means by that is this. For some people, it is now that I know what is out there to do wrong, even though you told me not to do it, I now kind of want to do it. Some of you understand this when you've tried to get rid of a piece of furniture and you set it out on your front lawn and write free and it stays there for a week. And then you go out there and put $50 sign on it, and it's gone by lunchtime. Why? Because it wasn't a big deal until somebody said, you got to pay for it. And it's like, nah, now I need that. I, I remember I, was, uh, I love going to cave systems. And I'd taken a group one time uh, to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And they have all the stalactites and stalagmites there. And it is actually... I don't think I'm overstating. I think this is accurate. I think it's like a federal offense to touch stalactites and stalagmites. And as soon as they tell you, do not touch them, everything in you wants to find one to touch. The law actually increased our trespasses because we realized how futile it is for us to try to keep all of the law. See, rules, rules do not bring life. They really just share how badly we need grace. Because to be guilty of one point of the law is to be guilty of the entirety of the law. See, our mission statement is not awaken people from death to life in rules. Or awaken people from death to life in morality. Or awaken people from death to life to be good 
people. You understand the scripture is very clear. Who is good but God alone? Even our best efforts, the prophet Isaiah says, our best efforts that we present in front of a holy God are like filthy rags. So we are in Adam. We are infected by sin. Death reigns over us supreme. There is condemnation over us justly, by the way, because of our sin. Rules won't save us. They won't bring us life. They just show how badly we actually are dead and incapable of resuscitating ourselves. So finally, let's get to Paul's good news. The good news is that life comes from being in Christ. Life comes from being in Christ. And then, again, we've got this dichotomy. In Adam, these things. So now, in Christ, if sin infected us, Paul tells us that when you are in Christ, grace abounds and is applied Abounding grace is applied to you. In Christ, abounding grace. That is, he says that the law came and it increased trespasses, and so God increased the amount of grace to be applied to us. This is a beautiful picture. But I want you to look at verse 17. Verse 17 says this. This is really important. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. So that's in Adam, death is reigning. Then the back half of the verse says, How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? None of us had a choice or an option to be in Adam. But I want you to understand, God has made a gift available to be in Christ. Verse 17 makes it very clear, you actually have to receive this gift. The gift is offered, this abounding grace to cover our sin is available. It is a free gift of righteousness. We'll talk about that in a second. But it's made available But you don't accidentally wander into being in Christ. You have to receive it. When we receive that gift, abounding grace is applied to us. See, Jesus, as the book of Philippians tells us, humbled himself to the point of becoming a man to walk this earth, to live a perfect, sinless life, to be the perfect sacrifice, all the while teaching about what the kingdom of heaven looks like, should be, and the fact that it is here now. And then he walked all the way to Calvary and died on the cross. He laid his own life down, mind you. No one took it from him. He willingly laid it down to pay for our sin, to make a way out of Adam and into Christ. And when he died, grace abounded. But then three days later, when he resurrected, not only was sin defeated, but our former king, our former ruler, death, was defeated. And so not only is abounding grace applied to us, but number two, 
we now see that righteousness reigns over you. When you are in Christ accepting that gift, grace is applied and now righteousness and abounding grace reign and rule in your life. I don't know about you, but I particularly live in a world in which it's nice to know that my ultimate ruler does so with righteousness, with grace, with truth, with compassion, with holiness. His judgments are always right. He never falters. He never slumbers on his constituents. Righteousness reigns over us in Christ. The third thing is this. If condemnation was pronounced over us, justification in Christ is now pronounced over us. If, if you're not familiar with the phrase, um, it's used here in this passage, and it says, by one man and his one trespass, judgment was issued condemnation. And then it sort of takes a turn. It says if one trespass equaled condemnation, he says now the many trespasses have stacked up. Not just Adam's, but every person's sin is now being thrown onto the pile. You and I have contributed to this infinite pile of our transgressions against a holy God. And you would think that Paul would say if one transgression brought condemnation, now the heaping mound of transgression should be annihilation. But yet Paul says, no, no. When the heaping mound of our transgression, transgression stacked up, he pronounced a judgment of justification. I don't know if you heard me, but he pronounced justification on those in Christ. If you're not familiar with what that term means, it is to say legally, I pronounce you to have no guilt. See, we walked into the courthouse deservingly so with a mountain of evidence of our trespasses, and yet he stood up as the rightful judge and said, my son paid for your offense. Release the chains. He is justified justified. See, when we go from in Adam to in Christ, Paul later in the book of Romans would say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you've got to receive the gift that he gives. See, <laughs> Here at Harmony Hill, why we exist is to see people by God's drawing awakened from death in Adam to life in Christ. Where sin has infected and death reigns and condemnation is justly applied, God graciously made a way through the gift of his son and the grace applied that we can have grace applied to us. Righteousness can reign over us, and we are pronounced justified in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, that is why we exist as a church. 
We do not exist primarily to be a social club. We do not primarily exist as a tax shelter. We do not primarily exist as daycare. We do not primarily exist to make you feel good by coming in and feeling like you're checking boxes for rules to bring life. We primarily exist to see people go from death to life in Christ. And there at the very end of your notes, there's no fill in the blanks. I just wanted it right there in black and white, just a reminder. Our mission statement will guide everything we do as a church. And then this word is important, together. Together, not not Todd, not the pastoral staff alone, but together. I am but one person in this faith family with one specific gift of contribution, but it requires every single one of us for this next statement to be true. Together, we look forward to celebrating death to life stories, salvation people moving under the reign of death to the reign of righteousness, and discipling people to live in the life provided by Christ. Look, when we see people go from death to life, salvation is the start. We then get the privilege of showing people how to live the abundant life and eternal life started in the here and now that Christ provides. Going back to the Great Commission, Go and make disciples, death to life. Baptize them, incorporating them into God's community and then teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, which is sanctification or the process of living freely in the life Christ provides. And in fact, the book of Romans spends the next several chapters talking about what sanctification looks like, the renewing of our mind, the discipline of our body as a spiritual sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm going to invite Joel and his team to come up as we're going to have a time of response here. But if you're a member of Harmony Hill, what I'd ask is this. I would ask that you start working on memorizing our mission statement. If someone catches you at the gas station or a grocery store or a family gathering or you're leading a life group and people go, why are we doing what we're doing? I want you to be able to say in unison together, we exist to see people go from death to life, that God would awaken them from death to life in Christ. If you're here today, And as I've laid out what Paul described, and you only see yourself as in Adam, infected by sin, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And death reigning over you for the wages of sin, what we've earned is death. And the pronouncement of condemnation through one man's trespass, the judgment of condemnation was given to the many. If that's where you're at today, would you respond to God drawing you, awakening you to move from in Adam of death to enjoy the life in Christ where righteousness reigns, 
justification is pronounced and grace abundantly applied. We're going to stand and sing. If you're a believer here today, I pray that you would just give back to praise God for the salvation that you have. But I'll be standing here, but if you want to go to our next step desk, either during or after uh, this service concludes, we would love for you to do that and talk to someone. If you came here with a believer, go to lunch with them and ask them how they can go from death to life. Father, thank you. You're so good. You've been so merciful that you've given us You've given us Christ that we may see sin, death, and hell defeated for those who accept the abounding grace and righteousness in Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.